Hi, and welcome to Fido, an audio adventure into fiction, folklore, and fairy tales. I'm John, your host, and thanks for dropping in. Welcome to episode 100 of Fido. It seems like no time at all has passed since I released that first episode back on May 24th, 2020. Looking back, I think at the time we were all pretty uncertain about what was going to happen, and Fido was one of the ways I dealt with that. It gave me something to focus on, and a way to put something out there for people when the real world was a bit heavy. It's been almost two years, and this show has turned into something that I love putting together each week. It doesn't even matter to me whether the show ever gains some vast following. If one or two people find the show and it makes their day a little better, then that's more than enough for me. I've gotten to meet and interact with some incredible people, and we've done all kinds of different stories from all over the world, and I look forward to digging up even more to bring you. Another of the fun opportunities that the show has given me is to be able to bring you some of my own work, and that brings us to episode 100. What you're about to hear is a story that I've written in a fairly short amount of time, but this one is special because my patrons, my secret rule of three, have cast their votes on many of the important decisions about this tale. And this is just the beginning. Today's story is just the first episode of a serial, the trajectory of which will be decided at various crucial points by the patrons. I may be filling in the blanks, but they're guiding the story. This story, entitled Colony Zero, is the combined effort of listeners and host. It's a science fiction tale of mystery, and I think you'll really enjoy it. And so, in celebration of 100 episodes of Fido, all my listeners and new friends, and looking forward to many more, may I proudly present, written by the patrons, and yours truly, Colony Zero, Episode 1. In the century leading up to the destruction of Earth, all that remained of her resources were combined for the completion of one immense task. Ten incredible colony ships, each bound for the distant stars. But that was the end of the story. The beginning has been long forgotten. Jonah Gardner's hibernation suit awakened him as the first pre-programmed burn fired from the starboard bow thrusters. It was followed by secondary stabilizing jets, and then another powerful blast from astern and below. Before he had the barest chance to fully rouse himself, he was pressed into the padded contours of the cockpit and felt the blood rush away from his head, pulling him back into unconsciousness. As quickly as it had begun, the thrusters backed off and the intense inertia eased, while the navigational computer began a hundred minuscule stabilizing adjustments. Jonah kept his eyes closed for a few long moments, hoping to avoid any vertigo or nausea that often threatened to accompany these approaches. 
These small craft could travel far and fast on next to no fuel, but the downside was you felt absolutely everything without the comfort a vast colony ship could provide. Someday they'd invent pocket grav dampeners, but for now, those things were just too big and expensive for a regular guy. Jonah eased his eyelids open and then, with his right hand, slid the stellar film up on his visor. Leaning as much as he dared, he gazed out the starboard side toward the planet now rolling past well below him. The surface, mostly rust-red, was mottled sparsely with patches of silvery white, green, and brown. He was cruising in a high orbit, well above any atmosphere that might exist, but there were a few light, wispy indications of cloud vapor drifting in the sky. Well, Jonah said to himself, his voice raspy from long disuse, something happened down there. A quick, short series of coughs followed his observation, and then he focused himself on checking his instruments. All thrusters appeared operational, sensors were functioning with the exception of a couple of non-essential proximity nodes, the others would compensate well enough. Likely they just needed a good cleaning after a long journey such as this. He'd see to it when he touched down. One of the oxygen scrubbers was operating at 10%, but the other was good. Another repair he'd have to see to on the surface. All things considered, the little craft had weathered the interstellar transit well, and aside from his weak voice, and likely the sore muscles he was going to have in a day or so, Jonah figured he was in at least the same shape as the ship. Preliminary telemetry began to roll across his instruments. Nothing detailed, but enough to tell him something. No recognizable radio signals, no optical comms either. Come to think of it, Jonah didn't know whether optics had been in use before. Shock! You there? Jonah said, his voice threatening to break into a coughing fit once more. Several banks of indicators began to flicker and illuminate as a subtle, low whine began increasing in tone and intensity from behind the cockpit panels. Starhopper, onboard companion, online came the smooth, synthetic voice of his ship's A.I. Nice to hear your voice again, Shock. Likewise, Captain. How we looking? Minor non-essential repairs needed. Redundancy systems maintaining full function to essential operations. I figured as much, but I mean the planet. Is this it? Likelihood based on stellar charts and available planetary telemetry 93.8%. That's not bad at all, Shock. How about a transit report? Total transit time 9 months, 23 days, 15 hours, and 9 minutes, with 3 heading changes and 17 minor course corrections. 177 meteoroid impacts, no breaches, no significant damage, no communications received. Jonah sighed heavily. Yeah, Shock, how about leave that last part off next time? Let's only talk about mail call if there's actually mail, alright? Certainly, Captain. Nine months, eh? Jonah leaned once more against the starboard glass, watching the planet below. Mars. Had to be. Hard to believe. Hey, Shock, Jonah said, awe touching his voice as he kept his gaze on the ruddy expanse. When were Opticoms invented? Optical burst communication, colloquially known as Opticoms, were invented en route to Proxima Centauri in the year 74 as a means of more effective communication between colony ships. But did they have anything like them before? You know, before the colony ships? Please restate the query. What about on Earth? Did they communicate long distances on Earth? 
According to the most reliable records, late-period solar technology consisted of large-scale radio transmission networks. So, radio, but no optical. Optical communication was established in the late 20th century period, but records end before advanced optics were considered commonplace. Huh. Thanks, Shock. Of course, Captain. Shock, we're years away from anyone who would care that I'm a captain, especially of a Starhopper. No offense. Can you just call me Jonah? Certainly, Jonah. Jonah leaned his head against the glass and took in a deep breath. Maybe it was just a Starhopper, but it was his. He enjoyed the view for a while, giving himself time to fully awaken from the extended hibernation. Shock wordlessly popped one of the side panels open, dispensing a recovery supplement bar which Jonah consumed joylessly as he continued his observation of the planet below. These are terrible, Jonah said at last, choking down the last of his bar. I'd kill for a strawberry. Strawberries are not recommended for deep space or long-duration travel, Shock answered. Shock didn't have a face, but Jonah had taken to addressing his green vocal indicator lights. He gave the array a dubious glare. The AI was supposed to be humorless and no-nonsense, and the previous owner had said as much when he bought the ship, but he was sure sometimes that Shock was deliberately making jokes. Okay, Shock, begin a log. Log entry open. This is Jonah Gardner. Uh, Jonah checked the chronometer. It's 11-9-947. I'm in orbit around a planetary body I believe to be Mars. If I'm right, then I could be looking at the rediscovery of one of the pre-Centauri colonial destinations. I'm tagging this log entry with my current coordinates, placing me, uh, 6.4 light-years out from Colony 7. So far, no signs of habitation. No radio, no opti. Beginning prep for surface survey. Gardner out. Log entry closed. All right, Shock, Jonah said, stretching his arms and cracking his knuckles through his thick gloves. Give me helm, and find me a safe place to put down. Jonah, I'd recommend making the first approach on the navigational computer. There is no... Yeah, I know, but I just want to do this one. This is a big deal. I mean, if this is really Mars, do you know what that means? Please restate the query. Jonah sighed. Never mind, just let me fly this one and find me a soft spot to land. Certainly, Jonah. Navigation disengaged. Scanning planetary surface for optimal touchdown. Jonah took the yoke and felt shock release the nav computer. He couldn't help but grin. At this moment, his little ship, his little ship, was worth every sacrifice he had made to attain her. Potential landing window calculated, Jonah. Shock's voice was accompanied by a projection onto the front heads-up display, giving Jonah a clear trajectory and some idea where he was going. That'll do. We can get a better idea what's going on when we get down there. Jonah eased the stick in and gently to port, rolling his nose toward the planet and beginning his descent. Jonah, scanners are detecting a buildup of unknown energy on the surface of the planet. Location indicated in heads-up display. Jonah had just enough time to find the source of the buildup on his screen before a burst of green light erupted through his starboard wing. Impulsively, Jonah jerked the yoke in an attempt to pull away from the blast, but the damage had already been done. Debris burst away from the wing, leaving a gaping hole in the hull of the craft. He pulled back on the yoke hard, but enough of the thrusters had been damaged that the Starhopper's reactions were sluggish and ineffective. 
Shock, tell me something useful, Jonah called out over the sound of the ship trying to counter the breach with internal seals. Major hull breach detected. Complete emergency seal not possible. Oxygen surplus tanks 1 and 2 depressurized. Starboard maneuvering thrusters operating at 20%. Starboard propulsion coupling offline. Can we land? Jonah barked as he wrestled for control of the ship, now beginning to corkscrew dangerously. The starboard navigation sensor array coupling is offline. Jonah strained at the yoke, feebly fighting against the spin as his mind raced. He could see and feel the starhopper dropping out of orbit. The port engine would be enough to get stable if he just had more maneuverability. Come on, Shock, give me options. Oxygen reserves at 64%, falling at a rate of 4% per minute. Life support is unsustainable. Loss of maneuverability due to starboard thruster damage reduces chance of safe landing. Extensive damage likely. Recommended actions. Manually restore oxygen seals. Manually restore starboard propulsion coupling. But you can't fly this thing right now? The starboard navigation sensor array coupling is offline. Well, how long before we drop? At the current rate of descent, the craft will contact the planet in 23 minutes. So, by my watch, I'll be out of air before I die a fiery death on the planet? Please restate the query. For the... Come on, Shock. Will I run out of air before I crash? That is the most likely scenario. Jonah checked the small, very small, oxygen supply on reserve in his hibernation suit. It was more of a handoff supply than anything else, designed for transferring an occupant in hibernation from one place to another without interrupting functions. It would sustain someone in a deep sleep for about a half hour, but not a fully awake pilot trying to keep a ship from flying apart. It'll have to be enough because I'm not going to park this thing without the starboard propulsion. Shock, can I access the starboard couplings? Emergency seals at 94%. Access to starboard couplings requires Class 3 personal protective measures. So, a hibernation suit. A hibernation suit functions adequately at Class 3. Jonah didn't respond further. He set the yoke and engaged the rudimentary autopilot. It wasn't the same as full navigation, but it would give him a few moments to assess the coupling. Another bonus of the Starhopper. More or less a glorified atmospheric shuttle with delusions of spaceflight, so it had all the classic analog knobs and switches. Jonah unbuckled from the cockpit and made his way around the console to the aft hatch that led to the rest of the ship. Twice, the ship jarred severely as it fought to tear free of its trajectory and corkscrew itself into debris. Jonah slammed hard into the bulkhead each time, his teeth gritting against the impact. He reached the hatch and made sure his helmet was sealed, slapping down the stellar film and then grasping for the manual release panel. Shock, I'm going out there. Monitor that coupling and when it comes back up, be ready to bring us in. Looks like you get to fly this one after all. Certainly, Jonah. Without wasting any more time, Jonah pulled the panel and grasped the latch, giving it a hard half-turn. There was a faint thunk as the retaining bolt slid aside and Jonah pulled hard on the latch. It slid into the wall, and immediately he could feel the pull against his body as the pressure equalized in the two halves of the ship. Jonah stumbled through the hatch, turning immediately starboard. He could see several dangerous-looking fissures blocked, if only mostly, by yellow emergency expanding foam seals. He dropped to his knees by the junction panels where the starboard coupling would be, beginning to feel the effects of the bay's exposure to open space. He could detect a sharp drop in temperature, even in the hibernation suit. 
Class 3 was minimal protection. He forced his mind away from the distraction as well as he could manage, and popped the panel free. Behind it, he could see the damage that had been caused. It was a clean cut by some piece of debris. If there was a bright side, it was that there did appear to be power at the junction, because periodic blue arcs of electric played along the coupling and into the surrounding hull. It would be exactly my style to crash, suffocate, and be electrocuted in the same day. Shock! Kill starboard power when I tell you. Stand by, Jonah yelled over the din of the ship, trying to come apart around him. Standing by, Jonah, came the now maddeningly cool reply. Jonah partly walked, crawled, and stumbled forward to a wall-mounted box and yanked it down. The mechanics kit had been mounted there when he bought the ship, but he'd never had occasion to use it. Yanking the box open, he began to rifle through the contents. Spanners and pliers of varying sizes all dumped out as he sought what he was after. His eyes lit up as he found it, a pocket welder and a spool of sealing tape. Dropping everything else, he staggered back to the panel and knelt. His vision was clouding up. Whether it was the fog in his helmet or the low oxygen, he couldn't exactly perceive, but he carried on as well as he could. Okay, Shock, now! Starboard power offline. The arcing blue sparks stopped. Jonah grabbed at the severed cables, yanking and positioning them to gain the slightest slack. Then he got to work reconnecting them according to color and wrapping each one with seal tape. He tried not to worry about how long it had taken, but when he had completed the task, a matter of seven thick cables were as repaired as they were going to be. Shock. Jonah stammered, surprised by his own lack of breath. Yes, Jonah. Restore power. Starboard. Starboard power restored. Jonah watched the repaired cables with fading vision as the seemingly distant hum of the starboard engine filled his ears. He smiled faintly and began dragging himself back to the cockpit. Shock. Prepare to isolate and pressurize the cockpit. Even with isolation... The environment will provide minimal life support, Jonah. Just do it when I say. Of course, Jonah. It was with leaden limbs and numbed senses that Jonah managed to heave the hatch closed once more. He didn't turn the latch. The isolation protocol would handle that, and he couldn't have managed it anyway. Now, shock. Now. Cockpit isolated. All remaining oxygen routed to isolated section. Jonah clumsily pulled at the latches on his helmet and twisted it loose, letting it roll from his hands. The air was only slightly easier to breathe, and the temperature was well below zero. He felt the sweat on his brow begin to chill. Shock, Jonah gasped. Just put us down somewhere. Try to keep the ship intact. Opti my logs. Nice. Nice flying with you. Of course, Jonah. Jonah smirked as he felt his consciousness fall away. Shock. Let's go back to Captain. Yes, Captain. Jonah heard things before he perceived anything else. A faint but persistent repetitive sound like a buzzing insect. Slowly, the sound coalesced in his mind, some sort of alarm. He became aware of darkness and realized that his eyes were closed. Then he smelled the acrid, metallic odor of fried electronics.
As his senses collectively began to associate, Jonah realized that he was, in fact, not dead. It took him longer to realize that he was breathing. And then finally, he opened his eyes. All at once, Jonah bolted up from his prone position on the deck of the Starhopper. His hands flew to his face, instinctively trying to check the helmet that was no longer there. He also found that he was breathing comfortably, even if the atmosphere was thin. As Jonah's mental faculties returned, he began to notice the scene around him. The ship was powered down, with the exception of the emergency indicators. He couldn't hear the engines or any of the systems. All of the lights were off. The only light was the faint glow cast through the cockpit glass, now dulled, its active polarization matrix no longer functional. Jonah sat there a moment longer, collecting his thoughts. Shock? he called hesitantly. No answer came from the darkened cockpit. Shock, you there? Jonah said more loudly, but to no avail. The instruments remained dark and still. Carefully, Jonah leaned forward to stand, testing his legs and finding nothing broken. His limbs did ache terribly, which was likely just a side effect of his long hibernation. How long was I unconscious? Jonah said to himself as he squeezed his eyes shut and rubbed his spinning head. He stepped carefully toward the hatch that led to the aft section. It was still locked, but the latch turned easily. Jonah leaned as he grasped the handle, sliding the door aside. This time, there was a slight whoosh of air as the cockpit's pressure equalized completely with the rest of the ship. But then, Jonah noticed, with the rest of the planet... A one-meter hole had been torn into the starboard hull, exposing the interior to a pale, reddish expanse. He peered at the opening for long moments, breathing the thin but livable air. Mars. If this is Mars, shouldn't be enough oxygen. Jonah could only stare and stammer. At last he made his way to the gash in the starhopper. At a glance he assumed the craft would never fly again. He had no way to patch a hull breach of that kind. Peering out, he could only see the vast red surface. Unable to resist himself, he bent down and maneuvered his way through the hole, putting his booted feet reverently down on the rust-colored soil. A cold breeze blew that scoured his face, and he squinted as he grew accustomed to the elements. Jonah surveyed the outside of the Starhopper. The damage was extensive. It would take weeks in a dry dock and a crew to even make her power up again. At the moment, she was a decent shelter if he took time to make some kind of barrier to patch the hole. Jonah had no idea what to expect, but he was well and truly stranded. He didn't know the conditions of the planet, whether it was Mars or otherwise. Whether he had an hour of daylight or twenty. He didn't know what the temperature might do at nightfall or if weather would be violent or mild. As he considered his options pacing around the craft, Jonah ventured to look off into the distance. In one direction, the horizon was dominated by a mountain of a height that he could never have imagined. He had lived most of his life aboard spacefaring vessels, but once or twice had seen mountains in person. They were all mere mounds compared to this titanic peak. In other directions, there were plains that stretched out as far as he could see, red and ragged and endless. But what truly caught his eye was a not-too-distant patch of green. Was that a forest? 
trees on a planet that was supposed to be barren? Jonah had seen some green from orbit, but there hadn't been any time to analyze anything before the blast of energy had blown a hole in his poor hopper. Jonah looked at the sky and the distant star that gave him light. Sol. Incredible. He was standing on Mars, looking at Sol. A deep sense of eons of time weighed suddenly down upon him, and all he could do was stand there. At long last, Jonah focused again on the impossible forest. He had to see it up close. Had to. Jonah felt at one of his hibernation suit pockets. A packet of water was still stowed there and didn't seem to have ruptured in the crash. With a glance back at the starhopper and a nod to himself, he turned and then strode off toward the green patch on the horizon. If you're enjoying Fido, then you should definitely subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss an episode. Make sure to rate and review Fido if you like what you're hearing, and share the show with your friends and family. Word of mouth is my best advertisement. Don't forget to leave me a comment or a question, and I might be able to read them on the air. I love hearing from my listeners. Head over to FidoPodcast.com for show links and merchandise. And if you're a true fan of the show, message me about the exclusive Fedork fan t-shirt. It's not available online, so if you want one, let me know. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Fido Podcast, or join the Fido Discord server. You can find the link in the show notes. And if you would like to support the show more directly, you can become a patron. I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. There's behind-the-scenes content, early access to upcoming episodes, merchandise discounts, and if you join, you'll get a personal handwritten thank you from me in the mail, as well as a Fido sticker. Also, you'll get a mention here on the show. That brings us to the end of episode 100. Watch for the next episode of Fido coming soon. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you once upon a next time. Fido is a member of the Pizza Rice Podcasting Collaborative. Check us out at pizzaricepodcast.com.